0: Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government.
1: And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government.
0: Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress.
1: Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. And we're coming today with a special episode to introduce Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's nominee to fill the spot left vacant by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And to help us figure out what's going to be coming in this epic battle, we have Madison Alder, our judiciary reporter. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here.
1: So just to start things off, we know that Judge Barrett already went through the confirmation process a few years ago, but for people listening who have no idea who she is, who is Amy Coney Barrett?
0: Well, she's just 48 years old, so uh, if people don't know her now. Once she gets on the court, they'll have a long time to get to know who she is. Uh, She's been widely reported to be very conservative. She uh, has had some cases on the Chicago-based 7th Circuit, where she sits now, uh, where we've seen that play out. And she describes herself as an originalist in the mold of her former boss, Justice Antonin Scalia.
1: And so on Saturday, we saw President Trump nominating Judge Barrett in this typical type of Rose Garden ceremony.
0: I stand before you today to fulfill one of my highest and most important duties under the United States Constitution, the nomination of a Supreme Court Justice.
1: These things all have kind of a similar tone to them. You thank the president who has just given you this gift. You introduce your family. You do that whole sort of thing. But I'm wondering if anyone saw anything stick out that was different about this particular ceremony?
0: Well, a couple of things. So one is that unlike the ceremonies for Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, this one didn't have that kind of reality TV element to it. Um, So we Mm -hmm. didn't have to have like the nominees standing above a snake pit or anything like that. Um, It was pretty well reported that uh, the pick was going to be Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, The other thing that I noticed is that She has a very large family. She has seven children, and um, she spent a lot of time talking about how her husband helps her out, how they're very busy. At the start of our marriage, I imagined that we would run our household as partners. As it has turned out, Jesse does far more than his share of the work. And that just stood out to me because it's not something we've heard from the, you know, male justices who have been in that same position. I think President Trump noted that she would be the first female justice to have school-aged children, but of course other justices who have sat on the court have had school-aged children and it really hasn't even been all that noteworthy. So uh, what about you, Jordan? Not to
1: say this is the opposite observation of that, but one thing that stuck out to me is, you know, the question going into this is it's awkward for her to put it one way in that she's coming in and being nominated before Justice Ginsburg is even buried. And the question is, how are you dealing with that aspect of this? And we saw Judge Barrett really talking up Justice Ginsburg in addition to giving the, you know, necessary tribute to Justice Scalia as all of the Republican appointees must, she clerked for him. So that's an additional aspect for her too. But I thought it was noteworthy how she framed kind of herself in taking over this mantle as the next female nominee from Justice Ginsburg, talking about how Justice Ginsburg smashed the glass ceiling and all of that.
0: She was a woman of enormous talent and consequence, and her life of public service serves as an example to us all.
1: What's unstated there is that Justice Barrett, if she becomes Justice Barrett, whether it's through her own vote or just who she'll be as a part of this 6-3 majority is going to wind up undoing a lot of Justice Ginsburg's legacy. And so I thought that was one interesting aspect of what was unstated there.
0: So, um... Madison, wondering, is this a done deal? Do Republicans, I mean, it seems like they have the votes to get this through. Um, is there anything that Democrats can do to stop Amy Coney Barrett from being the fifth female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court?
2: So procedurally, there's there's really not much that the Democrats can do here. The judicial nominations process is really built on on a series of norms. And there aren't really many requirements in the Constitution for the Senate and its advice and consent role. Um, so right now it kind of come down to this numbers game and Republicans, as you said, have indicated that they have those numbers, you know, they have a 53 seat majority. Um, the wiggle room there is very narrow, but it, it seems from, you know, recent comments from, from senators like Mitt Romney, uh, that a lot of Republicans are, are on board here and, and willing to have this vote, uh, prior to the November 3rd election. Uh, So, you know, it it does kind of look like at at the at the end of the day there that uh, Republicans do have the votes and and there's not really much that Democrats are going to be able to do to to stop it from going forward.
1: And so what exactly do we think the timeline is going to be for how this moves forward to the extent that we know at this point
2: so the senate judiciary committee uh last night chairman lindsey graham released their expected timeline for these hearings going forward they're going to start on october 12th that'll be columbus day um it's just going to be opening statements and then on the 13th they'll start the questioning of the nominee uh they expect that to last about three to four days total. And then Graham told Fox News uh, that he's expecting to have a vote, a committee vote on the nominee on October 26th, which means that the vote for, by the full chamber would likely take place sometime before the November 3rd election in, in the week prior. Um, so it's cutting it pretty close, but uh, they they say that they have the timeline to get this done.
0: So one thing I'm wondering, uh, Jordan mentioned that she's already gone through a confirmation battle, a pretty tough confirmation battle to get her current seat on the Seventh Circuit. Is there anything we learned from those hearings uh, that we can expect to see in a Supreme Court confirmation hearing?
2: So I expect a lot of the same issues to come up at this hearing that came up at the last hearing. Um, You know, lawmakers focused a lot on her faith. Uh, and and her, you know, Catholic religious beliefs uh, it, that actually fell flat a little bit for for Democrats in the last hearing. Uh, very famously, uh, Ranking Member Dianne Feinstein asked her uh, about you know her writings and uh, said the dogma lives loudly within you. And. That's of concern, which kind of became a rallying cry for conservatives and made her this this hero uh, among you know conservatives as as you know a member of the religious right who was, was being attacked and so I expect that to come up again but perhaps not in the exact same way. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you know, there's a number of different writings. You know, she had a really long uh, history as a professor at at Notre Dame, so she really has quite a record there in terms of speeches and and writings on the law. Um, you know, she specialized in in stare decisis, so I expect a lot of those writings to to also come up again. Um, but ultimately, this is going to be a repeat. You know, we just saw this nominee come before the committee three years ago, so. Um, you know, in terms of anything new that Democrats could bring up, perhaps maybe some of her her more recent opinions on the Seventh Circuit. Um, but a lot of those writings, if they come up again, we already saw her answers. And these nominees are are you know really good at being able to uh, you know say that they they will be uh, an unbiased jurist. And you know sometimes they'll walk back some of their previous statements on these topics. But um, you know it, it's. It's, it's not really, it's very difficult for lawmakers to pin someone down and, and get them to potentially trip up or say something that they weren't intending to. Yeah, it's
0: interesting um, that you know, there was such a firestorm over Feinstein's comments about the dogma living loudly with her. I think it's interesting, though, that of the nine members on the court, if confirmed, she would be the sixth justice who currently identifies as Catholic. And um, there's also Justice Gorsuch, who was raised Catholic, went to a Catholic high school, um, and only converted when he was an adult. So, um, you know, definitely some lack of diversity on the religious front there. So,
1: Maddie, let's assume this is a done deal in terms of Barrett getting on the court. Seems to be a foregone conclusion. The more interesting question, it seems, is what happens next? What can the Democrats do? What might they actually do?
2: So over the last few decades, we've really seen the judicial confirmation wars ramping up, and especially with these last three Supreme Court nominations, this one included, Um, this it just seems to be heightening uh, and and momentum seems to be building behind some um, pretty, pretty major changes potentially to the court. So uh, Democrats are already kind of looking to the future after this nomination and what they might do as retaliation. Uh, And and that includes either adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has gained a lot of attention uh, in in the days following uh, Justice Ginsburg's death and also potentially uh installing term limits for supreme court justices and and there are other um other things being considered as well but um basically it looks like the appetite here for democrats is is to make some some big structural change to the supreme court as a response that of course is easier said than done and democrats would need either a 60 vote majority in the senate and the white house um or they would need to eliminate the filibuster and you know be able to put forward legislation like this with just a simple majority um obviously that's a lot of steps before that can happen uh so right now this is just um, this is just talk this is just you know trying to figure out what the response might be but it's definitely something that's on democrats minds
0: and of course it all depends on them winning the election
1: again this is in the category of assuming that this is a done deal and what other implications it might have I don't know if anyone has thought about this at all. I was just randomly thinking about this yesterday, but if Barrett is going on to the Supreme Court, that means yet another vacancy on the appeals court, right? Is this one that we think that Republicans are going to try and not only put Barrett on the Supreme Court, but then in turn fill her seat before they're potentially out of power.
2: That that is a good thought, Jordan. Um, I, I have to admit that uh, I you know I didn't think about that until now, but uh, it's it's something that would probably need to happen during the the lame duck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know after the election, how much appetite there will be to move, uh, another circuit court nominee through in that period, uh, Republicans, you know, like I mentioned, they, they have the votes, they have the majority and all they need is a simple majority to confirm these, these nominees, but, uh, it might depend on the election outcome. So, uh, that's a, that's a really good thought going forward, but, um, it, I think we'll have to wait till November 3rd.
0: Yeah. It seems like if they try to fill, That seat on the Seventh Circuit, it'll just raise the temperature um, and maybe push Democrats to thinking more about some of those other steps. I did see it floated on Twitter that um, maybe, you know, Justice Alito uh, will see what's happening and think everything is so terrible and will step down um, and, you know, save the Supreme Court, give Biden, you know, a chance to fill his seat. Um, Which I guess I just want to say that if you're hoping that that's going to be the case, I don't even know why are you listening to this podcast. That's that's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's uh, worth what you paid for this week, <laughs> I think. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Madison, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a special episode of Cases and Controversies. We'll be back later on in the week to give you a sneak peek of what the justices are going to hear in their first uh, week of the 2020 sitting. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com.
1: And if you're interested in more details on any aspects of Barrett or anything else, when you go to news.bloomberglaw.com, there's just an absurd number of stories talking about, about all aspects of her. So if you have any lingering questions about any particular area of the law, you'll find the answer there.
2: The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, politicians in Washington, And the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.